Pastor Jerry asked me four weeks ago to uh, take this Sunday, and I went home. I was excited about it. I was terrified about it. Uh, everything that you could be about it, I was. Um, so I went to God in prayer, and I asked the Lord. I said, God, there's a reason why you're doing what you're doing. One is he is training me up. He's training me up to proclaim his word. And two, uh, I strongly feel that he's given me a word. Because this word has just been beating a drum in my head since being told. And that word is freedom. And today I want to talk to you about uh, communion and the freedom that is found in communion. Communion is a celebration of freedom in the new covenant. For many years of growing up in the church, communion has been anything but a celebration of, of freedom to me. I'd come and I'd I'd see that cup and I'd see that, that bread. And as I was raised, you know, I was given the old pinch. You need to get yourself right before God. And somehow that translated into my thinking as a time of begging for God's mercy and begging for his grace and hoping that God hadn't gotten tired of my shenanigans throughout the week. Or the month, since we did it every month. Um, Really praying hard that God wasn't just going to kick me to the curb. How many times can you go back to your sinful ways before God has said, enough? Seriously, think about that question. That question used to scare me to death especially as I realized how often I kept going back to the things I shouldn't be going back to. When I would allow my personal um, desires for things to be gained in this world to continue to win out over what I knew to be right, I felt exactly as Paul felt in Romans 7, 24, when he cried out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Have any of you felt that way? Have you ever considered just how wretched you are? Ah, no, come on. It's always somebody else, right? If you really look inside, you realize just what kind of a wreck you are. So who will deliver you from this body of death? I wasn't finding freedom at all when I came to the communion table. Instead, I found myself guilty of nailing Christ back on the cross every time I returned to my own desires and putting them ahead of God's will for my life. I was missing Christ, my sanctifier. I knew him as my savior, but I was missing him as my sanctifier. So my proposal to you this morning is communion is a celebration of freedom that every believer is able to experience in the new covenant, until the kingdom of God comes. You know, again this morning, we we come together and we always say, we at OCCA are... Right. You guys know that. We say it. We got it down by rote. Do you believe it? Freedom. Freedom. Part of that statement is freedom. 
And part of that freedom is found in the communion. So what led me to come to understand that communion is a celebration of freedom in a new covenant with Christ? It was by looking through the Passover that Jesus so earnestly desired to share with his disciples during the very same week of his crucifixion and resurrection. While I was researching through the different parts of the Passover, God's Holy Spirit spoke to me again and again and again the same word, freedom. I look at who's sitting here today, and that word wasn't just for me, it was for you. See, God orchestrates things beautifully, wonderfully. And he's put you here to hear what his spirit is screaming loud and clear. And I don't want you to miss it. I want you to get this. Freedom is to be found in God's new covenant through Jesus Christ. So today I want to share with you from Luke 22, 14 through 20. And we're going to take a look at the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. If you would turn with me to that passage. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So how did the Passover meal display freedom? I'm only going to cover just three parts of that meal that are mentioned in this passage. Most people recognize the wine cup and the bread as part of the Passover meal. But this text mentions something that's mentioned in all four Gospels. He reclined a table with his disciples. Why is that so important? Just sitting at a table. But yet all four Gospels mention this. Freedom was displayed in the fact that they were reclining during the meal. This is something that's missed in our culture today. Reclining at a meal is reserved only for the wealthy and the free. The people of Israel were instructed to recline during this special night as a symbol of their freedom from the slavery of Egypt. Interesting fact about the Jewish Passover in today's society we all sit at a table, and we have chairs, and we're sitting upright. And part of the Passover meal, the children are to ask four questions. And one of those questions is, why are we reclining? It's really hard to recline while sitting at a table, isn't it? And the article I was reading on this, uh, for this modern problem, for the modern Jew, 
suggested maybe you use Chase lounge chairs or lawn chairs at the table so you get the whole effect of, of leaning. And that would cause your children to ask that question. Or just make sure that when you're sitting there, you're leaning really hard to the left. And again, the children, they already know what they're supposed to be saying, and they're supposed to ask the question, but it's supposed to prompt the question, why do we lean? To which the father then answers the child who asks the question, we are instructed to recline at this meal to demonstrate the freedom that we have as a people because God delivered us from the slavery of the Egyptians. See, the posture was to cause a question to which an answer could be given to remind God's people of the freedom he had given them. So we'll be having communion later today, and I'm not going to ask you to come up here, lay out on a lawn chair or something like that. That'd be crazy. Um, But I, I want you to think about your posture as you come to the Lord's table. Now, my posture in the past was one of repentance, of shame, of guilt, hoping that God didn't just rat me out to somebody who knew the Spirit and would say, Dave, you need to repent. Um, Man, I'll tell you, growing up in a Pentecostal church was rough. Spirit would rat you out left and right. That's how I grew up. And my posture coming to the table was one of God, please don't strike me dead. In a way, I was taking damnation to myself. I'm going to ask you to consider your posture as you come. Are you going to be coming as one with your head bowed in shame? Or are you going to come as one who's realized that through Jesus Christ, you have been set free? No, seriously, you have been set free. Right. Good, I'm glad you got that. The next part of the meal I want to draw your attention to is the cup. And actually, uh, there was more than one cup. There were four cups during this meal, four cups of wine that were shared. And they represented some things. If you were to turn to Exodus 6, 6 through 7, you can if you want to, you don't have to, you don't want to. I'm going to read through it. You're going to see the reason why they were instructed to have four cups of wine. There were four I wills that God had spoken to his people back in Exodus. Freedom is displayed in the symbolism of the four cups of wine that are had during the meal. And in Exodus 6, 7, 6, 6 through 7, it says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The first I will is remembered with the sharing of the cup of sanctification. That's the first cup. Continuing on in the passage, And I will deliver you from slavery to them. This is the second I will, which is remembered by the cup of judgment. Next, the Lord says to his people, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. The third I will is remembered by the cup of redemption. And finally, in verse 7, 
I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is the fourth I will, which is remembered as the cup of praise. Now I'm going to be coming back to the first two cups a little later in my message. But first I want to wrap up looking at the, uh, the Passover meal that's mentioned here in our passage. And in Luke 20, verse 19, it talks of the bread. This is the matzah bread. Freedom is displayed in the matzah bread. At the beginning of the meal, one of the cakes of matzah is broken. This piece of matzah is the middle one of three matzahs used in the Passover. And it is called to the bread of affliction. This centerpiece is taken and it's broken and it's called the bread of affliction. The bread itself is nothing much. The bread was the meager sustenance of slaves and the minorest, meanest fare of the poor. This isn't much for bread. I get better bread at Walmart. The bread was the quickly produced food of a people who made a hurried, under the cover of dark, getaway from Egypt. Yet later, this bread would become a symbol of their freedom. Of their liberation of bondage from the Egyptians. Looking at this meal and and doing the research on what it takes place during this Passover, and seeing it from the vantage point of how God had interacted with his people, has caused me to kind of begin to understand why Jesus Christ was so earnestly looking forward to sitting down and having this meal with his disciples. So why did he look so earnestly forward to this? See, I remember that Jesus Christ is God, and he knew what was coming at the end of this week. Yet here he is, he says, I am earnestly desiring to share this meal with you. If I were him, I'd be earnestly looking for a way to go the other direction. But I'm not. And he was earnestly desiring to be there. Speaking of the love that our God has for us. Jesus already knew the foundation that his father had laid with his people for him to come as the Christ the Messiah. This Passover meal was the foundation of what you and I get to celebrate today. And he knew it, and he was excited about it. He was to be offered up as the Christ, the Messiah, the perfect sacrifice. The Passover meal was symbolic of Christ's suffering. The disciples were reclining at the table, celebrating the Passover, and the celebration of when God had set their ancestors free from Egypt. And I have to wonder, did they come to this table the same way that you and I sometimes come to communion? Had they forgotten 
had it become so traditional that they had forgotten. Many of us are old enough to remember, young enough to remember, 9-11. And then a country artist came around a few years later and wrote a song, Have You Forgotten? Having served in Desert Storm, I can tell you I haven't forgotten one day. Not once. Having served my Lord, I can't say that I have honestly held my remembrance of why I take communion. I sometimes forgot. It became a thing I did once a month. See, I totally get what Pastor Jerry says when we talk about communion. And he says he's kind of against doing the same thing on the same Sunday every time. Because there is an inherent danger of losing the meaning in tradition. And i got to wonder, have we done that? Have we lost the meaning? See, when you take something and you do it in a religious manner, it becomes just like we say that saying, by rote. You got it, you know it, you understand it, but now you're just going through it. You're burning through it. It should be something precious. It's to serve to remind us of how God has set you free from your slavery and your bondage to sin. This comes through the sanctification of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and whom God raised from the dead. That's the communion. Christ's coming suffering was for the sanctification of those who would believe in him. You go back to verse 15. Jesus again alludes to his upcoming suffering and death, which would be happening at the end of this very week. Again, the same week he'd been so looking forward to sharing with his disciples in the Passover. In the Passover meal, the first cup of wine was the cup of sanctification. Symbolic of a God bringing his people out from under the bondage of slavery to the Egyptians. In our fourfold gospel, the Christian Missionary Alliance, Christ, our sanctifier, is represented as the laver. That would be the cup in our emblem. The laver itself represents the daily cleansing from sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. The cup of sanctification, the laver, daily cleansing, not monthly. See, I had the part I needed to get right with Christ correct. I just was doing it at the wrong time. That should be a daily thing I do. Daily coming before his throne. Daily saying, Christ, you and me, and I and you. During my studies at PBI, I've come to enjoy reading uh, articles 
written by a pastor named John Sober. He's an alliance pastor out of Ridgeway Alliance, White Plains, New York. Um, he did something really cool recently. He finished a, a project of a 99-week uh, Bible study that you can actually access online, missions119.org. And his 20-minute uh, speaking, along with the Bible reading, has, has helped me to connect some dots and to get further into the Word and getting to know God's Word. And I would recommend that you, you, you check this out. We actually have a link to it on our website under the Young Adult tab. Um, but like I said, Pastor Soper wrote this article the reason I'm bringing this up. Here with this article in the March 2009 Alliance Life magazine called Jesus Christ, Our Sanctifier. And I want to read part of it to you because he explains the difference between having freedom from sin and our salvation and the freedom from sin by sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to bring his people salvation and sanctification. These two gifts are related but distinct And the sad reality is that while every Christian understands and experiences the first, many Christians neither understand nor experience the second. The results of this deficiency are crippling to the spiritual life. Without the experience of Christ as sanctifier, we are condemned to an ongoing and unsuccessful struggle against sin. The desire to separate, the root meaning of the word sanctify, from sin exists, but there is no power to achieve it. More than that, there is a lack of power in our lives and ministry. This is often accompanied by a lack of assurance of salvation and a corresponding lack of joy in our walk with Christ. When we know Christ as Savior, we experience the reality of deliverance from the penalty of sin. When we know him as sanctifier, we are delivered also from the power of sin. Salvation brings freedom from eternal death. Sanctification brings the freedom to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The first great gift of Christ releases us from the guilt of our past. The second equips us to resist the temptations of the future. At the point of salvation, Christ lives in us because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. At the time of sanctification, Christ lives through us. Because we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. A couple Sunday nights ago, we were here uh, just praising God and just letting the Spirit move. And this whole front of the church was lined with people of all different ages, all different levels of maturity in Christ, with one thing in common. They wanted more. They wanted to be indwelled with the Spirit. They had realized there's a difference between having Jesus Christ in them and having him live through. If you've confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sin, and is now your Lord and Savior, then you know that he lives in you. That's a given. But do you live in him, and does he live through you? You have to wrestle with that question. Have you learned to draw on the Spirit of God to empower you to resist temptation? 
You know, I don't think it's by happenstance that the first cup of the Passover is called the cup of sanctification. Notice that Jesus hands this cup off to disciples and tells them to divide it among themselves. Personally, I find the sanctification process is also a shared process. I can't do it on my own. I totally need the help of the Holy Spirit. And I require the help of my Christian brothers and sisters in Christ who come to me and sharpen me as iron sharpens iron. Christianity is not something you're supposed to do by yourself. You're not to be an island out there all by yourself waging war against the enemy. You are part of something. You are part of the body. So moving on in our text, verse 19, and he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Christ's body was being given up for those who believe in him. How was Jesus' body going to be given up that week? Before the end of the week, Jesus would be beaten, and he'd be nailed to a cross. Sacrificed for all mankind. Blameless of any sin, pure from any wrongdoing. Offered up of his own free divine will. To pay a price for our transgressions. For our wrongdoing. And for our sin. Just as it had been foretold in Isaiah 53.5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever taken a hard look at the bread, of that matzo bread that we have? Honestly, I, I haven't. <laughs> Until I was doing the study for this, I didn't really look at it, but I started to look at it. A couple articles I read just triggered my mind. You know, hey, go back, take a look. Did you notice that that bread is striped? I mean, yeah, it's thin and it's flat like a cracker, but it's striped. You also notice that it's pierced. There's a bunch of little holes running right through it where it's been pierced. Have you noticed it's always served to you broken? Reminiscent of Jesus' body and how it had been given up to us. Now we come to the second cup in our text, verse 20. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Remember what I shared earlier about the second cup. It was the cup of judgment that was shared to remember that part of Exodus passage where the Lord said, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. In that passage, the people had been enslaved to the Egyptians. Jesus handled, handed them this cup, knowing that freedom was about to be delivered to all the nations and from the slavery of sin. Disciples didn't have a clue. They had no idea what was being handed to them, but Jesus did. You and I have the, the ability to look back through Scripture 
And we can see. We can see what was coming because we've read the story. Most of us have read the story. And in that passage, the people had been enslaved to Egyptians, like I said, and Jesus handed that cup to them, knowing of the freedom that was coming. So how was Jesus offering a new covenant for those who believe in him? Christ's blood was being poured out as the new covenant for those who believe in him. The author of Hebrews in chapter 8 writes, The new covenant that Christ mediates is better than the old because it's founded on better promises. For if the first one had been faultless, then there would be no need to be looking for another one. The author then quotes Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor. And each his brother saying. Know the Lord. For they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest. Declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. I want to draw attention to what God called himself in this passage. He called himself their husband. See, the the marriage illustration is used quite often in scripture, isn't it? And it depicts how God interacts with his people. Paul used it as well to illustrate how we as believers in Christ have been set free from the old covenant. To be free to accept the new covenant. Romans 7, 1 through 6, Paul speaks to those who are there. He says, Or do you know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Jesus Christ is the new covenant in that he died under the law. 
which in turn freed us from being bound to the old law. And those who believe in him are now free to be bound to him in a new covenant. See, it took a death for that to happen. A covenant that no longer holds us captive to our sin, but one that has set us free to serve in a new way, the way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of a written code. So why was this so important to have happened? If the old covenant, the old law, was able to provide a way for transgressions to be paid through the slaughtering of animals, then Jesus' death would have been for nothing. If that old way had been the right way, then there would have been no point of the cross. Jesus' death, instead, is exactly what was needed. See, God had said that he would have to pour out his wrath because of our sin. And the sacrifices held back that wrath, and God passed over pouring out his wrath upon his people. Until Jesus until Jesus had been offered up as the perfect sacrifice. Jesus was the only sacrifice that could appease God's wrath. His death was the only thing that could pay the ransom price of our sin. It was at the cross that all the sacrifices of old were made good with God, and Jesus knew the true meaning of what the Passover meant. He knew that his sacrifice brought freedom in the form of a new and perfect covenant, one that would not need to be replaced one that is offered freely to you to enter into with him today. You know, Jesus is still looking forward to sharing a celebration of freedom with his followers again. And then John 4, 2 through 3, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself. That last part echoes what was said about the fourth cup of the Passover. You're beginning to see how God has been orchestrating through the ages our freedom from sin and eternal death. Of how the Passover was a foreshadowing of what was to come and what awaits us yet in the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke of what was going to be coming. That there will be freedom when the kingdom of God comes. But until then, Jesus wasn't going to be eating the Passover anymore. He wasn't going to be celebrating this Passover meal anymore until the kingdom of God came. Scripture speaks of another celebration that Jesus is wholeheartedly looking forward to with his believers, the wedding celebration. When the bride and the church, the body of of Christ is taken up And the men and women who faithfully believed in him join him in that celebration. Jesus will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. See, there's one more thing about the wine that I didn't mention earlier. Wine represented joy and happiness. They were to be happy and joyful that they had been set free by God from their their enslavement. 
God had rescued his people from their bondage. And there is an assurance for the believer today that you've been set free as well. Freedom for those who have their salvation and sanctification in Christ. Paul said in Acts 17, 30 through 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And for this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So until then, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. For your homework this week, on Monday, I want you to read John 8, 31 through 36. There you'll see truth setting you free from sin. On Tuesday, Galatians 5, 1 through 15, how we've been set free from the law. On Wednesday, Romans 6, 1 through 15, how we are to be dead to sin. And Thursday, Romans 6, 16 through 23, becoming a slave to righteousness, which will lead you to sanctification. Friday, Romans 7, 1 through 6, Again, seeing that you are released from the old covenant so that you are free to be bound to a new covenant. And on Saturday, Romans 8, 1 through 17, no longer condemned, but free to live life in the spirit. Communion is a celebration of freedom that every believer is able to experience in the new covenant until the kingdom of God comes. This morning... I pray that you get that. I pray that you come today with your posture changed. No longer like I was, coming and repenting. God, forgive me. But looking at him for my sanctification and allowing Christ to live through me and celebrating the freedom that is demonstrated through the communion. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? God, I, right now I just ask that uh, your spirit would just pour out upon these people. God, that through the communion we can look at the different parts of it and we can see how you gave freedom to your people and we can tie it into today and how you are giving freedom to us. God, I am so, so not worthy at times of of coming before you. But God, I know that within you, I have been set free from my sin. Within you, I am set free to come and to celebrate what your son did on the cross. God, I pray right now that you would just speak to the hearts of those that are here and allow them to come to your table set free. Amen.